I want to invite you, if you would, to take your copies of Scripture and turn with me to Psalm 119. Um, as you do, I just want to remind you that uh, there are um, that this afternoon at three o'clock here uh, we have a membership matters class. Uh, some of you have been contacted directly because you've expressed an interest. But if you're here and you have an interest in knowing more about Oak Valley Church, uh, what it what it means to be a member here. Uh, we want to invite you, if you will, to come here this afternoon at 3 o'clock and uh, uh, meet with uh, the pastors who are well, because we have one of our pastors who is not well. Uh, Adam is homesick and want to uh, continue to remember him in prayer, uh, but want to invite you to that and pray for him. Um, many of you have had eventful weeks. Uh, the Elliots have had a a, a real eventful week, and uh, we want to ask if you would to lift them up in prayer and encourage them and pray for Reese. Uh, he'll be having a surgery this Wednesday. He's in a motorcycle accident after being discharged from the hospital uh, this past week with issues from a previous motorcycle accident. And um, so if you will pray for Mike and Justine and their family as they walk alongside of him. Um, many of you have asked over the course of the last few weeks uh, since uh, Daddy passed away how I've been doing, and uh, sometimes I say I'm doing good and sometimes I'm not so good, and um, I, I never anticipated uh, going through this in the way that I've gone through it. Um, I pretty much, through the course of my life, I've just gone on, and uh, it's been hard to go, and uh, so I want to thank you. Uh, for praying for me, and um, I want to encourage you, if you will, to continue to do that. I don't know how long this season uh, is going to last. Uh, I shared with um, some this morning that when my when my mother passed away, my my daddy uh, he wept for months, and uh, he told me he said, "I know you're tired of watching me cry and hearing me cry." I said, "No, get it out, get it out, whatever it takes, get it out." And then this was, and for those of you who knew him, you could imagine him saying this. Uh, he said, um, I've been to the graves of all my people, and I never shed a tear. He said, and, and he, called, he called my mama, mama, that's what he called her. And he said, my mama passed away. He said, I can't stop crying. Uh, I'm there. Uh, Psalm 119. Um, we're going to conclude our, our month-long uh, journey in the longest chapter in the Bible, uh, 119th Psalm. I, I began to study this chapter in preparation for this month, even though I have not preached from it. I was giving attention to it. Um, I, I, I realized that not many people have attempted to preach through the 119th Psalm. Um, even Augustine uh, delayed uh, the endeavor for a long time. And he wrote this. He said, with the Lord's gracious help, I've expounded as best I could all other psalms contained in the book, which, as we all know, is by the church's custom called the Psalter. I've done so partly in sermons to the people and partly by dictation, but always I put off the exposition of Psalm 119. Not so much because of its formidable length uh, as because of its profundity, which few men and few people can fathom. 
And my brethren, my brethren took it badly that this psalm alone should lack an exposition in our insignificant writings, inasmuch as it also belongs to the collection of psalms. And they pressed me insistently to discharge this debt. But for a long time, I did not yield to their request or even to their commands, because every time I tried to think about it, it always seemed far beyond the powers of my mind. The plainer it seems, the more profound does it appear to me, so much so that I cannot even demonstrate how profound it is. When in other psalms, some passages presents difficulty, at least the obscurity itself is obvious, even though the meaning is hidden. But in this psalm, not even the obscurity is evident. For on the surface, the psalm is so simple that it might be thought to require just simply a reader or a listener only, not an expositor. But he did later go on and do an exposition of it. Now, we have not made it through the end of the chapter, and we will not this time around. Uh, it's my plan that when we return to the psalm uh, and revisit it as we regularly do, that we'll pick up in verse 129. I was trying to think this week why I haven't heard many sermons from this chapter in my 60 plus years of, of sermon listening and church going. Uh, I suppose, I guess, the only thing I can figure out is uh, that it's just so long. Uh, folks just wouldn't set out, set out to try to uh, navigate through 176 verses. Um, and some, I think, when we read it, and if you've read it, some, I think, just simply thinks it's just uh, too repetitious. But I've listened to it. And when I say I've listened to it, as I've read it, I've heard it. And I've discovered uh, it is not a poem of repetition. But it's a song full of intimate expressions regarding the breath of God. I, I think about that for just a second. God's breath. God's breath. We first hear about God's breath in Genesis 1 as he spoke the universe into being. That is, every part of it came from his breath. His breath so powerful, full, and complete that as he exhaled to speak, all that he envisioned took shape instantaneously, with absolute precision, not a flaw. And that same breath filled the lifeless body of the man he created from the dust that he had spoken into being. And that lifeless body became a living nephesh, a living being. And here's what's even more incredible to me is that since that moment, that breath for life has not ceased to exist, but rather has continued and even now can be witnessed in some seven billion image bearers that are walking on the earth today. That's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So join me as we return to this song, Psalm 119. Before we read and pick up in verse 97, I want you, if you will, to turn back to verse 89. And Adam dealt with this last week. 
But I want us to hear this verse because as I've studied this psalm, there are a few just uh, overwhelming text that contextually becomes so significant for the chapter and even for the Bible as a whole. And this is one of them. Listen to verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Look at it again. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. That means that God's word is eternally established. His breath is eternal. It's fixed. It's not going away. It isn't going to change. That's why we hear that his word doesn't return void as we saw in our call to worship this morning. But in fact, it accomplishes his every purpose. That's why we hear in scripture that all else will fail, but his word will never fail. Everything else will go away. His word will never, ever go away. Because it is forever fixed in the heavens. It is established. It can't be moved. It can't be removed. I was thinking about it this week. That representations of his word may be taken up and put down on our walls. May be placed out on a, a table somewhere. It, it may be up today and gone tomorrow. But the original is firmly fixed in the heavens. And then the psalmist continues in verse 97. Listen to what he writes. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for my testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I've sworn an oath and confirmed it. I keep your righteous rules. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold, my life, I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. 
You're my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live, and, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe, and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I'm afraid of your judgments. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and the fulfillment of your righteous promise. I'm your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It's time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. When Augustine did get around to preaching through Psalm 119, uh, he pondered this very first verse, Oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your law. And his question came, the question that came was, how can it be that what God commanded to be loved, be loved, and yet the commandment itself not be loved? In other words, how can we come to the law saying that we love God, but we don't love the law? How do we come to the very breath of God and say, God, I love you, but I despise your breath? How would one come and begin to try to reconcile that? And that was what he pondered and he meditated on it. And he just kept over and over again saying, how would it be possible for me to say that I love God, but I don't love his word? The psalmist settled it. He said, oh, how I love your law. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, you will keep that which is good. You'll keep that which is right. You will love it. You will long for it. You will want it. That's the reason he said, as we read from John's gospel in chapter 6, the reason he said, come and feast on my flesh. Come and drink of my blood. He was saying, come to him, obey him, love him, long for him, and you'll have life. And the psalmist said, oh, how I love your law. Oh, how I love your law. Love for God and love what he has commanded us to love is inseparable from the commands of God. We can't say that we love God and not love his word. But here is a dilemma for us. Here is the dilemma for us. If we say we love God and then we say we love his word, but we don't attend his word, if we don't feast on his word, if we don't go to his word, if we don't feed on it like we feed ourselves from our tables and refrigerators and 
pantries and cabinets and all those things that we find ourselves running to each day to keep us alive physically, we wouldn't reject that. We wouldn't turn away from the physical food. And yet, so often, we have so little time for God. And we know that's true because we give so little attention to his word. It's clear here that the psalmist attended God's word. In fact, he has written this long song expressing his affection for, his desire to obey, his willingness to hear it, his longing for it. And here we are today at verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. And he expresses it so. It is my meditation all the day. The psalmist states that he loves the law of God. I wonder today, and and I'm wondering this for me, and I'm also wondering it for you, is how can we love that which condemns us? How can we love that which condemns us? How can we love that which we cannot keep and in our own ability to keep it, we can't, and it condemns us and then it stands as a testimony against us? Why would we love something like that? How could we love that which condemns us? I believe the psalmist gives us five reasons, and I want us to look at that over the course of this, and and, and there's more in this text, but I wanted for our purposes today, as we close this time of giving attention to God's Word, I want us all to walk away from it with an understanding that, yeah, we really should love the Word of God. We should love the law of God. We should love the precepts of God. Yes, they do condemn us. Yes, they stand as a testimony against us. No, you have not kept them. No, you will not keep them. And yet they are God's breath. He has breathed his word out. And because it has come from God, as the psalmist sees in verse 102, he said, I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. In other words, I love your Word and I love your law because they are yours. I love your law because you have loved me enough to give them to me to teach me. I love your word and breath because they are yours. So we should love God's law because it comes from Him. Everything that comes from God is good. In his wisdom and in his his affection for us, he has given us his law. He teaches us who he is. And his law points us to help us see and understand what pleases him. And if it pleases him and we say we love him, then we should seek to please him. 
He discloses his character to us through his law. He tells us what is good and what's not good, what is best for us and what is not best. He shows us a safe and secure place for us to be and to abide. The psalmist loves the law of God because it's from God and taught by God. And our affection for his law, it's not due to the fact that it's a law. None of us like rules. We don't like rules. We don't like being told what to do, and we don't like being told what not to do. We don't love them because they are mere laws. We come to the Word of God, and we love it because it comes from Him. And He hasn't given that Word to anyone else. He's given it to us. He's given it to His image bearers. He was seeking to relate to us so that we would not be in the dark about who he is and about what is good and what is right. We can't be a Christian and disdain God's law. We can't profess Christ and not give attention to God's word. You're saying you're, you're heaping up rules now. No, I'm not. We just know in God's word. That if we love him, we are going to love his word. And if we love his word, then we are going to love him more because we love his word, because we find him, we encounter him, we see him in his word. And it is in and through his word that his spirit works in our lives. Can he speak to us another way? He can. Does he speak to others in other ways? I think he does. But we have to be careful with that. If you're hoping that God is going to speak to you and relay, re relay some message to you apart from his word, I would say that it would even be then difficult to determine if what you believe that you are hearing has even come from him because he has gone to great lengths through men over the course of a couple of thousand years to give us his word and then to keep it and protect it and have it here for us even now. Now we find out who God is by looking at his word and we love his word because it is his word. If we truly love God, we're going to truly love his law. And if we truly love God's law, then we're going to truly love God. It's that simple. We cannot on our own love God and his law. I want you to hear that. So if you're here today and you say, okay, I, I can't really say I love God's word. I, I'm, I'm aware of it. I, maybe I know I should love it. And, and I'm not, and I'm talking about, I'm, when I'm talking about loving it, I'm talking about just crave it, desire it, long for it, want to read it, want to meditate on it, want to understand it for, 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 for our lives. That's why we give so much attention to God's word in every service as we meet. 
That's the reason that we read God's Word and we hear from Him and then we respond back to Him. It is all because His Word is that rich and wonderful. Why would we even want to assemble and come and, and, and maybe have one verse of Scripture read or, or, or maybe not even open up our Bibles at all and just talk? Why would we want to do that? I wouldn't want to hear anyone do that. Why? Because I need to hear from God. I want to hear from God. I want to hear from God in the way that He is given for us to know Him. And that is through His Word. And then the writing of that Word upon our hearts by His Spirit. That's the reason this morning we sang, Show us Christ. That was our petition to God. Through this word, show us your goodness. Show us who you are. But we can't come to him on our own. Unless we're brought out of the realm of sin and death by the sovereign work of God. Unless our hearts are changed. So if you're here today and you don't have that love for God, then your, your heart needs to be changed. Acknowledge that. Admit it. My, my heart needs to be changed. Because if, I, if my heart is changed, it will be changed by the Spirit of God to long for God and long for His Word. Our hearts need to be changed. And when they are, when we are no longer dead in our sin, when we are made alive, we are going to seek after that which has brought that life. And the one who has brought that life. We hear from Ezekiel, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what he says he will do. When he changes our heart, he will give us a heart for his word. Our struggle and our tension in not loving God and not loving His Word is our sinfulness. Our sinfulness and our pride and our selfishness fuels, fuels a lack of desire for God and a lack of desire for His Word. Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, said, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin and what you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power, the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among you, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich, and mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses he made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us that we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing 
It is a gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. I'm reminded of a text this morning on the Mount of Transfiguration that God put the spotlight on His Son. And He said, and this is my Son, listen to Him. Listen to Him. Why? Because as the disciples recognize, you have the words of eternal life. What were those words? The words of eternal life were to follow him. Why? Because he was the one who loved God. He loved the Father. He obeyed the Father. That's the reason when we come to this text, oh, how I love your law. The reason for loving the law of God is because they are God's laws. And he has taught us. He has given them to us. And for the believer, we come to understand that though we have not kept the law and will not keep it and cannot keep it in perfection, which is what the law demands, the one we love has. Christ has kept the law for us. What does that mean for us today? We'll look a little bit later on. It, it, it fuels the hope that we have. If you're here today and you're wondering, when I, when I look at the, the Word of God, it's like a mirror and I'm looking at it and, and, and I see just how ugly I am. It condemns me. How can I love that which condemns me? I love that which condemns me because that which condemns me also points me to the one who has kept it. And when I look in the mirror, I see my sinfulness. But when I look here at the mirror, I also see the perfection of Christ in his beauty. That's a worthwhile prayer, isn't it? Show us Christ. Show us Christ. Because I'm not him. And you're not him. And you are without hope Without him, but with him, there is hope. There's another reason why the psalmist says that we should love the law of God. That's because it grants us understanding and gives us wisdom. Look at verse 98. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. I have more understanding than all my teachers. I understand more than those who are older than me. In other words, the wisdom gained from the study of God's Word is a godly wisdom. Is a godly wisdom. It's not an earthly wisdom. It's a godly wisdom. It's not something that can be attained apart from finding it in God's Word. But it's not even like there's the nugget of wisdom. There is in the study and meditation of God's Word and attending God's Word, 
over and over and over again. It is something that takes place in the course of that with the work of God in our hearts that our lives are transformed and our understanding of life just expands and it continues to expand. How do we know that? Well, look at verse 105. He said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We should love the law of God because it illuminates our path for living. It illuminates our lives. Try walking around at night, the dark, no moon. Of course, you can hardly go anywhere here and there not be some kind of light. Uh, but there are nights in Ghana when we're in villages where there is no electricity and the moon's not out and it's cloudy and it amazes me that our Ghanaian friends must be partly nocturnal because they navigate through all these paths and stuff with, with no torch and, and, and I need one right in front of me so that I can see every place to step. Well, God's word is that way for us. It illuminates our path for living. In other words, God cast in his word, he cast a direct light on where we should go. And he even puts a light on all the dangers to say, don't go this way. We don't, if we give attention to God's word, we don't stumble in to bad places. We choose to walk in those places. It's not as though they are hidden from us. No, his word casts a direct light on where and how we should walk. Notice what he says. He said in verse 107, and he needs light, and I need light, and you need light. Why? He said, I'm severely afflicted. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life. In other words, I am sin sick and I need the light of your word to direct me to you so that I can have life. In other words, God's word helps us, gives us, grants us what we need to get out of the sinful affliction that we're in. God's word does that for us. I need it. I want it. I crave it. I starve for it. I hunger for it. I thirst for it. And the more we know about ourselves and the more we know about our sin and the more we acknowledge that, the more we realize I need his help to help me in this mess. But it also gives us light for worship. Notice what it says in verse 108. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. In other words, God has given us everything that we need to know about worshiping him. He has not left us in the dark. Now, I know people gather and they worship in a lot of different ways. But you may wonder, why do we do what we do at Oak Valley? We do what we do at Oak Valley and the way that we worship and gather and have folks come and, 
they kind of look, is this what you do every week? I said, this is what we do every week. Every week? Every week. Why? Because God has given us in his word what it means to worship him and what we need to do to worship him. Why is that so important? Well, I am hopeful that we have a desire because we love God that we want to show him and direct our attention to him in a way that really and truly shows that we understand and recognize just how wonderful and worthy he is. Just how wonderful and life-giving his word is. It's the reason we read it, explain it, sing it, pray it. Because it's his breath. He teaches us how to worship. But notice what else he does in shining light. He said in verse 110, the wicked have laid a snare for me. In other words, we navigate through the course of our life and we learn to deal with those who despise us and hate us and we know how to deal with them rightly. So what do we do with those who hate us? Hate them back? No, we don't hate them back. No, we love them back. How do we deal with those who disrespect us? Well, God's word tells us what? We respect them in return. What do we do if somebody hits us? Well, Jesus told us we'll turn the other cheek. Let him hit that side. You say, is that, is that literal? Well, what is literal is this. Is that the way your anger and the way your mind and my mind will operate in our sinfulness is not at all the way that God would have us operate no matter what the circumstances are. And God's word puts a light on our paths for life that direct us in our relationships with him and our relationships with one another. We cannot decide on our own how we are going to come to God. God has given us direct way to come to Him through Christ. To worship Him in spirit and in truth. How? Hear His word. And then do it. He shows us how to live when people seek to harm us. But fourth, notice what He also does. He says, I love the law of the Lord because it is single-minded. Look in verse 113. He said, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. In other words, everything else I see is double-minded. It's confused. Everything else in life is confusing. Your word is not confusing. We are not confounded by God's word because it is a book of confusion. No, he's single-minded with one single purpose, and that is to point us to the glory of God and Christ. That's what his word does for us. That's the reason that, again, we should long for it and love it because anything else you may read 
is going to be at the very least in some way subjective. And what it is subjective to is because it has been a subject of somebody else's mind and thought who does not hold all of wisdom and does not hold all of power and does not hold all of goodness. But when we come to God's Word, there's not one word of it that is not true. Every single word is true. And every bit of it is important because it is singularly focused on pointing us to the glory of God. That's the reason he's able to say is single-minded. And look in verse 114. And you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Why does he say that? He said, I'm not confused in any way when I come to your word. And it is there is where I find security and safety and my hope. And it points me, as he says in 120, my flesh trembles for fear of you and I'm afraid of your judgments. It points me to his glory in such a way and points us to his glory in such a way that we are not confused about who is supreme in authority. All other things in this world confuse us, but not God's Word. So why would we not want to run after it and love it? And then finally, I want us to see this. The very Word that condemns us also points us to salvation by the fulfillment of that word in Christ. Because it's there where justice and mercy and righteousness come together. Look at verse 121. The psalmist writes, I have done what is just and right. Well, there's only one who can say that, and that's Christ. The psalmist seeks to do that. You and I should have that on our lips, knowing that it is not true always of our hearts. But Christ did. He did. He said, give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. And then he says this, my eyes long for what? Your salvation. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise, and that is life in Christ. Listen, if we don't get anything else, let's get this. Christ and his righteousness his love for God, his love for the Father, his love for the purpose of God, his love for the Word of God, his love for the fulfillment of God's Word, his obedience in it at every turn, under the worst circumstances, under the greatest temptations, 
and yet he didn't falter. But then took on all of our sin and all of our ugliness and filthiness. Placed it on him. Stood in our place condemned. Was executed. Feeling every pain in its most excruciating forces. All while behind the scenes in a place that we could not see. And for those of us who trust him will never know. Bore the wrath of God for sin. We could not see that. We'll never know it. But he felt it. He did that. He did that. And God's word points us to that. And for that reason, we look to God and look to his word and say, my eyes long for your salvation and the fulfillment of your promise of life. This month we have been encouraging one another and have been encouraged from God's word to, to give attention to his word. We did that in the beginning of January because we have a long year ahead of us if the Lord tarries. We have days of affliction and days of suffering and days of struggle and days of temptation and yet we hope to find joy and can and will provided we know the one in whom joy rests and we'll only know that. if we know him and we will only know him and find him and encounter him and engage him in his word as we sit under its teachings as we read it and meditate on it feasting on it and what a great feast will you pray with me Father, help us today as we seek to renew our commitment to your word because it's good, because you're good. It's life-giving because you're the giver of life. It has come from you, has been kept by you. And while it condemns us, God, you in turn save us in Christ if we trust him. Father, help those who are struggling in their belief now. Change their hearts and grant them belief to believe in you and then to give attention to your word. Help us, Father, who profess to believe and yet struggle at times with our unbelief. Strengthen us in your word. We love you.
Grant us a greater love for you by granting us a greater love for your word. As Christ loved you and loved the law. Grant us grace to be conformed to his image that we would likewise. We come and we ask this in his name.